Hello everybody. Uh, once again, it's a great joy and a great blessing to share the Word of God with you. And as you know, we've been looking at the first letter of Paul to the believers at Thessaloniki. And this happens to be the sixth study in this series. And so today we shall be looking at chapter 2, verse 17 to chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. So thank you for joining me. I trust that this will be uplifting, edifying, and a blessing to you. So in the verses now before us, Paul turns his attention to the reality of spiritual conflict. And this constitutes a clear reminder that we are up against spiritual powers of wickedness that are seeking to gain a foothold in our lives and thereby destroy our Christian testimony and impede our impact in the world. In his Ephesian letter, Paul underlines this more dramatically when he writes the following. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And so the fact that he doubles down so strongly on the nature of these evil principalities and their pecking order, as it were, reminds us that we are, in fact, engaged in quite a struggle and quite a battle. And that came from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12. And of course, in his first epistle, Peter reminds us that the devil is constantly on the prowl like a lion, seeking who he may devour. So spiritual conflict is a certainty, and it's something that every single Christian needs to be aware of. In the passage before us in 1 Thessalonians, then, we have a number of points given to us by Paul that define spiritual conflict more clearly. And I want to share these with you in this study today. And the first one is, the devil resists local church ministry designed to encourage God's children. In chapter 1 and verses, uh, in, in the chapter before us actually, in 1 Thessalonians, verses 17 to 18, we find that Paul says, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and time again. But Satan hindered us. Interesting. So this passage 
brings into focus the importance of local church life and reminds us that we cannot do Christianity alone. We still have strong strains of carnality within us. And if we attempt to live out our Christian lives in isolation, we will more than likely fall into deception and at some point even fail. And sadly, many have. We all therefore need the love, encouragement and correction of other Christians. And this is precisely why God in Christ has set various gifts and ministries of the ascended Christ within his church. Paul reminds that uh, of that fact again in his Ephesian epistle, chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. In fact, Scripture everywhere warns that we must not fall into the habit of not gathering together regularly with other believers. And one example, of course, is the well-known one in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25, where the writer abrades many of the believers that he's writing to because they were forsaking the assembling of themselves together with other Christians. We need to know the devil will put all sorts of stumbling blocks in our way in terms of our gathering together in a local church because he knows that it's in the corporate body of Jesus that our lives are also transformed, they corrected, they given balance and they're able to follow Jesus more fully. So we need to keep away from Christian isolation. And we certainly need to understand that those who give into it are in fact giving in to the work of the devil. Paul said, I wanted to come to you. I tried time and time again, but the devil prevented me. And that should tell us something. Secondly, he tells us in this wonderful second chapter of 1 Thessalonians that the devil resists the final destiny of believers. This is what he says. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? So Paul is concerned that every believer in Jesus that came to faith under his preaching should remain true to his commitments to Christ up until the day of his glorious second coming. He therefore knows that the devil will employ long-term strategies to make sure that they fail. Paul's joy then will be to see that they remain true and faithful up until the very end. This, he says, is his hope, his joy and his crown of rejoicing.
My friends, the long-term strategies of the devil are like little foxes that destroy the vine. We find that mentioned in the book of the Song of Solomon, chapter 2 and verse 15, where you have this interplay between the bride and her groom. And uh, the groom recognizes that the beauty of the bride can be undermined by little foxes. And then the passage says that these have to be caught. They have to be apprehended. Isn't it interesting <clears throat> that he states that these are little foxes? They're not big wild animals. They're not easily discerned. No, they're little things that creep into our lives. And if persisting, they will bring destruction to our spiritual well-being. That is, unhealthy habits and routines that at first seem insignificant and therefore go unchecked, the devil himself will water and nurture until they have a controlling influence over our lives and can lead us to make shipwreck of our faith. We need to remember that ships don't just flounder upon the rocks. It doesn't just happen. No, the wrong course is set long beforehand and not being corrected results in a smash-up. The sinking of the Titanic, actually, is a clear picture of this problem. And um, the Titanic was set on a course that they all agreed upon. Everybody was happy. And uh, they were set on their way. And uh, when they did that, even though they knew there could be problems ahead, they were satisfied that everything was safe. You know, It was like a small fox. It was routine for them. But in the end, they floundered in shipwreck. And you know, the same was true with the life of Judas. A careful study of the Gospels reveals that he had a problem with money, which in the end caused him to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And it's an interesting study. I've done it. Jesus gave Judas the communal money bag, knowing that he had a problem and hoping, therefore, that he could deal with the little fox. Having the money bag, we are told a little while later that he actually used to steal from it. Took some denarii here, some denarii there, little foxes, you know. No one knew they were insignificant, but he, he was pilfering. And then when Jesus' feet were anointed, it was uh, with oil, you know, it was, it was Judas who stood by 
and uh, complained that this was a waste of money. You see, this little fox was now growing in him. He said, this is, this is outrageous. This is now 200 denarii. Could have been given to the poor. And that's what we do, you see. We spiritualize our problems. Because some of them are routine. And we don't deal with them. They're little foxes, but they're growing. And they're growing. And when it got to the Last Supper, Jesus still reached out to Judas. Honored him by giving him the sop and, and was, was in a way reaching out to him to call him to repentance. But you know, by that time he had already gone to the chief priests. Filled his pockets with 30 pieces of silver and betrayed his Lord. The fox became a lion that devoured him. How interesting that is. And, you know, this is a warning to us that, in fact, the devil resists our final destination. He's determined that if you've given your life to Christ and he cannot stop that, then he will employ a long-term strategy to take you down. And that's why it's so important for us to have a good, clean, up-to-date relationship with Jesus so important to do that and sadly you know Paul lamented the fact that many of the preachers and people that joined him in the great proclamation of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire actually went back to the world and made shipwreck of their faith he writes about it so don't think this won't happen to you the little foxes, the things we consider insignificant, will be nurtured by the devil. And if they're not dealt with, it could turn into a lion. And that will be a tragedy. Thirdly, he tells us in this passage that the devil engineers trials, persecutions and troubles is a strategy to discourage believers. This is what he says in chapter 3. No one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed for this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know. Verses 3 and 4 of chapter 3. The Bible teaches that the devil is the God of this world. You can read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 to 4. And it also goes further and says that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Listen to that. The whole world, that is the world system of men, not the earth, the systems of men, lies in the power of the evil one. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. What does this mean? This means that he can manipulate circumstances and events by which to put serious stumbling blocks in the way of God's people. It is important to note that nowhere does Scripture teach that he can attack the believer in Christ when and how he likes. 
And you can read that in 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. But he can manipulate the ungodly world in which we live to deliver great troubles and trials to our doorsteps. I have seen this many times. This, in a way, happened to Paul in his journeying to come to the people of God to be in fellowship, the devil put stumbling blocks because the devil can control the world that lies under his dominion. And so he can manipulate the ungodly in such a way to deliver trouble to our lives. He says, I told you this. I warned you of it. In fact, he says, because of this greater reality, we are appointed for this. So how does the devil work in this? What is his strategy? You see, when he manipulates these circumstances in a dark world that he controls, he is merely presenting us with choices. Are we going to press on in faithfulness to Christ? Or are we going to succumb to our troubles, get so discouraged that we deny him? Paul was concerned that they would have fallen into the latter. And of course, the decisions we take in such circumstances will be ours entirely and not that of the devil. It's important to note that. He just provides the circumstances. You make the choice. Just as he did with Adam and Eve. The Bible nowhere attributes sin. It doesn't say as in the devil all sinned. It says as in Adam all sinned. In a way the devil did nothing. He just presented him with an alternative. And when that alternative is couched in struggle and trial and trouble and sickness, well, the decisions we can make, which will be ours, which we will own, can be fairly destructive. Are we going to succumb in the day of trial? The decisions we take will be ours entirely and not that of the devil. And this is why Paul here in this passage calls him the tempter. Actually uses the word, he's the tempter. And that in the language means the one who puts us to the proof. He engineers an ungodly choice which is in conflict with what we know to be true, with that which God wants from us. He is the tempter. Listen to this. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, you see, having heard of their troubles and their problems, I seemed to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. 
Dear friends, living in a fallen world and having fallen natures ourselves means that our journey through life is beset with many troubles and difficulties. These are sometimes overwhelming and we can so easily question God and lose faith and hope in him. We must always pray that we do not fail and fall into the trap of temptation, that we do not take the wrong decision. Deliver us, our Lord's Prayer says, from temptation. That is from the evil of being put to proof. Deliver us from taking the wrong choice. Do you know, friends, I know so many believers who have fallen into that trap. And so the decisions we take in this day of trial and trouble and sickness and tribulation and persecution are those of our own. James underlined this truth when he said the following in his epistle, let no one say when he is tempted, there's the word, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Nowhere is the tempter mentioned here. But he's there. The devil's there. Just presenting the alternative. It is we who are enticed. My dear friends, if ever there was a time when we have to live close to Jesus, it is now. Our world is in many respects becoming more anti-God, more anti-Christian, more anti-the church, and this will visit our lives with trouble and difficulty. We must understand that the devil indeed engineers trials, persecutions, and troubles is a strategy to discourage believers. The bottom line is that our many troubles in life unmask the true nature of our commitment to Christ. The devil just gives us a choice that presents us with an alternative to that of the plan of God for our lives. The decision we opt for then is entirely our doing. This was the strategy that the devil used in the Garden of Eden when he presented Adam and Eve with an alternative option. As we know, Adam fell and the whole human race with him. We thank God for a saviour died for each and every one of us has overcome our sinful nature has delivered us from the power of the devil rescued us from the wrath of God and given us eternal life but we are left in this world but thankfully even though the world is under the dominion of the devil, 
The Bible says that God has given us everything for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. This is Malcolm Heading.